Hello, this is Haya with Bloomsbury Radio, covering the Bloomsbury Festival of 2021. Today, I'm joined by Mr. Abdul Malik Taylor, who is leading the Muslim History Tour of Bloomsbury on October 17th. How are you today? Yes, not too bad. Fine, thank you. That's great. So could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and the event you're heading at the Bloomsbury Festival? Yes, my name is um, Abdul Malik Taylor. Um, I'm a convert to the Islamic faith over now more than 20 years and I am Britain's first professionally qualified Muslim tour guide and I've made some key discoveries um, uh, of Muslim heritage in Britain of um, two of them are um, locating the, the site of London's first mosque of um, 1895 which falls within Camden as well and the site of London's first public known um, Eid prayers of 1894. And um, I've just had a fascination about researching and um, digging up hidden gems that relate to uh, Muslim heritage in Britain um, since I actually converted to the Islamic faith. And on October the 17th, I'm going to be covering a locality called Bloomsbury. I'm going to be looking at some, um, some of the in fact, one of the early, in fact, the earliest uh, Muslim connection to do with Britain, as well as um, some hidden locations that exist that people wouldn't know about because there's no uh, there's no plaque there, um, despite Bloomsbury having a number of plaques, <laughs> etc. <laughs> and um, and there's obviously some places where you can actually get to see some heritage as well, Muslim heritage. That all sounds so interesting. I, I have so many questions to follow up on that. So the, the event is done by Halal, British, uh, Halal Tours in Britain, which is a company you lead. Um, what led you to start this company and be the, the first certified um, tour guide, as you were saying? Yeah, um, well, first of all, when I um, embraced Islam more than 20 years ago, I looked at um, what, if you like, the Muslim community in Britain were looking at in terms of the heritage. And it was mostly around uh, uh, the beginning of Islam. Um, then certain people were looking at Muslim Spain, Andalusia, and um, Andalusia. And other, some people were looking at the Ottomans. Uh, but for some reason, I was wondering to myself, how come nobody's actually looking into the Muslim heritage of Britain? So that's where the journey started for. But then I started... Uh, uh, some workshops, if you like, uh, perhaps more than 10 years ago now, to do with Vikings and Muslims, Tudors and Muslims, and was it Tudors, Vikings, and Victorians, and a normal timeline presentation. I did that for a few months, then I realised. So I, I started that purely because I noticed that the Muslim community in Britain were having a lot of bad publicity. And if you typed in, for example, on YouTube, uh, Muslims in Britain, what you'd commonly at that time would have found are um, uh, Muslims uh, um, being portrayed badly in the press. And I thought to myself, there's got to be a side which is better than this that could actually be uh, presented. And that's when I thought to myself, the knowledge I have, let's now start, you know, um, packaging it as a workshop and presenting to people. So that's what um, initially took place. But then in a matter of months, I realized, hold on a minute, if I took a bit from here, a bit from there, I could, in fact, um, make a, a walk. And the walk became a walking tour. Then a, a walking tour, it was like one thing after another. <laughs> and um, even when I was actually uh, 
doing the guided tour, I thought to myself, you know, I do actually want to become professionally qualified. So I became professionally qualified. And when I applied to the Tour Guiding Association, they looked at my name and they were shocked. And they said they've never had a Muslim applicant before. (laughs) So that's something I didn't even know at the time. Um, They told me, obviously, when they interviewed me, um, we've never had a Muslim applicant before. You're the first. Um, So if you do pass all the exams, you will be the Britain's first professionally qualified Muslim tour guide as well. So I did manage to achieve that as well. (laughs) Congratulations. That is brilliant. And it's so interesting as well. So would you say the aim of the company and of the tours as well is to promote um, Muslims in Britain in, in a good light to, to be more positive and show that there's so much more history. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. It's not only for like a domestic audience. It's also for international audience as well, because since actually we started, we did, we have, we are receiving tourists from abroad and they really want to know what, what is the Muslim heritage that does exist in Britain. And, when I started doing the walking tours, um, I realized that, you know, I had all these um, sightseeing tour buses go past me. And I thought to myself, one day I'm going to actually have a sightseeing tour bus as well, where I can look at much more larger era of London, you could say, by sightseeing tour bus. So that's what I did establish as well. And that's become highly popular as well. So I've got a daytime one and I have a nighttime one. A nighttime as well yeah but i didn't stop there because i know we had the river thames and sightseeing cruises take place on there Brilliant. so i established even a river thames uh, muslim history tour as well that is so amazing <laughs> I, you've expanded so much from what started as like a small project as well that is absolutely really yeah. interesting and i think it's such a good project too um so personally i had no idea bloomsbury was so rich with muslim history Oh, yeah, you'd be surprised. I suspect our listeners may not have known either. So could you tell me if there's any resources you use that helped you with your research? I mean, to be honest, um, if perhaps I give a bit more general context, is that what you find is that um, if you were to um, organise a normal, ordinary um, tour, that would be a lot more easier Mm. because it's a lot more available in terms of like, by books um, online. If you're doing a maybe a black tour, that becomes slightly more easier. Uh, sorry, not slightly more easier. Um, it's not as hard as establishing a Muslim tour. But then what happens if you're doing a Muslim tour, that becomes even more difficult because you have to rely upon archives. And mm. this is where the challenge lies. Um, there are some, um, for example, in, in Bloomsbury, I had to rely upon um, uh, Camden archives as well. And obviously, I, um, in terms of my knowledge of, of see the, the number of books behind me I've uh, <laughs> uh, you know there's there's some footnotes there there's some small paragraphs that mention about some history in Bloomsbury as well so that was something that um, you know I had to pull from here pull from there and extensively do you know uh, look at archives and it's sometimes what you find is over as the years go by that you can find some new additions to uh, Muslim heritage um that's connected to Bloomsbury. So, for example, UCL has um, uh, Muslim connections to it as well, where you have one of um, um, England's um, one of England's one of England's f- earliest African football players who was a Muslim um, from Egypt, and he was at UCL for one year in the year 1911. So that's like, you know, something that I've managed to discover in um, the last year, which wasn't part of the original tour. 
And, you know, even when you find um, the earliest connection, that's to, to do with England, that's to do with a, um, an English king, an English king called Offa Rex. He established, uh, um, he created, uh, uh, minted a coin back in the 700s um, that had his uh, um, name on one side. And on the other side, he in fact had um, what we call the Shahada. And for just the um, reviewers here, um, the Shahada, Shahada is the like, first pillar of Islam. Um, that means um, there's no deity worthy of worship. And Prophet Muhammad is one of his last and final messenger. So it's like a foundation of our faith. He had that inscribed on it in Arabic as well. And um, so that was in the 700s, and it, that coin was one of like 300 odd coins that were given to the Pope uh, um, uh, that was sent, sent, sent to Rome, basically. And then for there, it kind of remained for about a thousand years. And then what happens, it gets auctioned off at Rome, and somebody from France uh, wins the auction, the bid, and then it gets re-auctioned again, and then it comes to London. And uh, about a century ago, then it was auctioned again at Sotheby's, <laughs> and that's when the British Museum actually um, decided to purchase it and it's now uh, viewable in the British Museum. However, this is the big however, okay. and I raised this issue with the uh, British Museum and that is um, it's not contained in the, in the Islamic gallery. It's never been part of the Islamic gallery. It's quite odd when you think about it because uh, they've had even a, a new game done by the um, Al-Bukhari Foundation, uh, a Malaysian charity funded a, a new um, Islamic gallery has been moved to a larger, more primal location. Uh, it's contained in the coin gallery, but there's not even a, a sign or anything to direct people to it from the Islamic gallery. So this, there is a kind of like a, a disconnect here and you yeah. wonder to yourself, why is it their sign? Why, why is it included in this? Number one, why is it not included in the Islamic gallery? Uh, number two, why wouldn't you have a sign you know, directing people to it? It doesn't form even part of the Islamic Islamic tour of the British Museum. So I have, in fact, a separate tour of the British Museum where I don't really look at the Islamic gallery. I look at the objects which are outside the Islamic gallery as well because they won't get um, exposed. <laughs> yeah, there, there seems to be a break in the continuity of that. Of, Absolutely. Of you know, uh, the coin and, and the Islamic gallery. So it's that's really interesting. That is something I think listeners should check out. I will check that out myself as well. Um, Bloomsbury is so diverse. Um, so there's you know, students coming here from different backgrounds and Absolutely. Um, from different countries and different religions, of course. But would you say the Muslim community in Bloomsbury is still thriving? Is there a demand to see the tours? And do you see people in the area, I mean. Yeah, I mean, people do. I mean, it's perhaps, um, you do have a small residential uh, uh, Muslim community there, um, but you have a large uh, uh, student community. You have, uh, you know, students staying on campus for, you know, for a short time or around there, but you also have um, some local mosques that have been established as well. But um, the, the, these mosques kind of, more from the 1980s you could say however what one would find is that even back in the 1890s just on the tip of um, uh, on Euston Road which just falls within Bloomsbury on the current site of the Welcome Institute you do you did in fact have a mosque there a Victorian mosque 
that originally was in Camden Town, but gets relocated. Um, it was, a, in fact, it was a house mosque, and it was on the, the previous site of the Wellcome Institute. And I have, to be honest, tried to reach out to the Wellcome Institute, and I said, you know, this is like, um, you know, amazing news. Have you ever heard of it? Let's get the site a plaque. Um, so I can even pinpoint it to where the house was in the, in the you know, the large building of the Wellcome Institute, where the front door would have been. Unfortunately, <laughs> even after repeated attempts, the Wellcome Institute are not engaging. Um, I, I, I don't know why. Yeah, that sounds unfortunate because, you know, it only adds to the history of the, of the area mm. as well. Um, so, I mean, I hope that changes. I, I'm just by UCL um, and the Wellcome Institute. So I hope one day to walk past and see yeah i mean there's even like um, some buildings which are owned by ucl uh, on, on travington street where for example you would have um no inite khan's blue plaque that's gone up recently this year and she does have a bust within the um golden square park as well a uh, garden sorry and uh, but just a few doors away you had um the person who established england's first mosque in um 1889 uh, he who used to live uh, on Traventon um, uh, Street as well, a few doors from Nuenite Khan, it would have been. And his name was Sheikh um, Abdullah Quilliam, but he was actually an English convert to Islam who embraced, uh, um, converted to Islamic faith in Morocco. And he is, his English name was um, William Henry Quilliam, um, but he did uh, adopt an alias uh, towards the end of his life, but he was living there as well. And he was uh, performing Friday prayers there as well, um, you know, from at least um, 1914. Uh, so uh, within the war period, First World War, he was performing um, prayers there, which would have been um, like, for example, Ramadan events would take place, um, Eid prayers, as well as um, the Friday prayers, as well as like, you know, you have like the Sunday study circles, as well as um, conversions would take place, marriages would be performed. And what you find is that um, um, even on the previous site, which is um, what was it, the old, um, I used to call it university, was it a UCL building? Sorry, I'm trying to remember the road name now. Upper Bedford Street, sorry, it's changed its name now. now. Um, and um, he used to live there as well. So, and you know, he would have meetings there uh, with other communities. So, for example, the Jewish community, you'd have, there's photographs that do exist of him uh, um, having meetings with the uh, Jewish community there as well. And it was an era at that time when a lot of them, it was seen as like a, a bit of a little uh, American uh, uh, colony, if you like, where people were actually um, flying the flag of the American, yeah. America in that, uh, on that road as well. Um, that's it, I remember, Institute of Education, which is now obviously kind of part of UCL now. Was on that road, um, but you know you have gentlemen like him, who who lived there until the 1930s. Very active, if you like, in the promotion of Islam, but also um, challenging Islamophobia that used to exist at that time as well. And he was somebody who who was quite vocal. Um, he represented Britain abroad as well. And even when there was going to be a theatre play put on about the life. Mohammed, peace be upon him, at the Lysim Theatre, he did manage to play, he played a part in actually having uh, um, that play stopped as well, 
so that's you know some contribution that he did make that is there's so much history that I, I feel I've missed out on. And so it's so great to be speaking to you about it because I've, I walk past these streets and my friends and I do, and we have no idea that yeah. um, there's such a rich Muslim history here. Um, what a brilliant event. Um, I was, I'm looking at the description of the event, of course. And so some highlights really catch my eye um, about Nur Ayat Khan, a Muslim spy. Uh, could you tell us a bit about them, just so listeners know what to expect on the guide and 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 see the some tour, of the highlights? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's fine. Yeah, no, knowing that Khan, she's actually like sometimes labelled as the <laughs> spy princess, and she gets the uh, attribution of princess because she's a descendant of Tipu Sultan, who was uh, um, like a Mughal ruler in India, who actually fought the British um, East India Company three times on the third occasion. He actually lost, but he was allies with the French. He was. And um, so obviously um, she's off, like you say, maybe raw descent almost. And um, her, her, so her father was of Indian uh, um, origin and the mother was white American, but converted to Islamic faith as well. And she used to live on Traverton Street. And, um, but then she also uh, went to France and during the Second World War, obviously she came to Britain, she trained as a radio operator and she was parachuted into um, Paris and she was um, acting as a spy. And what happened was um, she was captured uh, by Nazi Germany and um, she was taken to Germany and she was told to give up the names of the, her colleagues, her, you know, the British spies, uh, maybe part of the resistance, French resistance as well at the same time. Um, and she refused. And she was subjected to um, living on potato peels and soup. And she was given an ultimatum, look, if you're not prepared to you know, reveal any uh, information, then we're going to uh, gonna shoot you. And that's what happened. Um, she was actually shot, said to the, to the back of her head, and the last words were liberty. So she did have uh, um, colleagues who, were, um, um, who actually um, were alive as well. She trained with, etc., And... Um, over the years, there's been like a, a film that's been made about her life. There's also been um, a, a book written about her. Um, she's obviously had a bust in the uh, um, Gordon Square Gardens. And um, at the same time, in the last three years through English Heritage, there's been now a blue plaque that's been unveiled um, on Travington Street. Um, and it's, it's, she was, in fact, the first um, Muslim Indian woman um, to be um, uh, commemorated with a blue plaque as well. That's really interesting. And and I think it adds a bit of more fun, I would say, to the, to the tour as well. So maybe it's something yeah. for all ages uh, to go to because, you know, spy stories. Yeah. But also, it's brilliant history. And I mean, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, in terms of like knowing that Khan, obviously, as I said, you know, you can go to YouTube, watch a, a film. There's a TV series that's made about her. Uh, there's a book that's been written about her. Uh, so there's a lot that has actually been, um, uh, you could say, there's a lot of, um, in terms of history, her, her life that's, that is um, available. Um, if anyone else wants to, you know, um, dig a bit more deeper, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of resources uh, to check out as well. 
Um, what about the mystery of the vanishing mosque? That is also something <laughs> highlighted. Could you tell the listeners a bit about that? Yes, that's the, the one I mentioned about um, at the uh, current site of the Welcome oh. Institute. I mean, that, that it, it was a house mosque and it was only there for about two years um, in the 1890s, uh, 1898 um, onwards. And, you know, People didn't really know where it was. There, were, there was, in fact, a American female reporter from Philly in America. She tried to track it down, and she, she I, I managed to find a, an article which she actually published in America. Uh, she said that she was actually asking policemen, postmen, yeah. and nobody could actually pinpoint where this um, mosque was. And she made contact with the Ottoman embassy, the imam from the Ottoman embassy as well, and he even said, there's no mosque in London. Uh, so by postcard, it was left a, a letter for him. Um, and he said, there's no mosque in London. Uh, go to Woking. That's where the mosque is. Because Woking had the first purpose-built mosque uh, that we know of. Uh, but it's about 30 miles away from southwest London. And what happened then was that um, she found the uh, head of an uh, organization called Anjuman Islam. And he um, met her. Um, at Greens in Canteen, and that's sometimes we had um, a number of Muslims and Indians, Asians um, congregating there for meetings, etc. And that's when she actually got given the address. So she went rushing down um, to the um, uh, to the site, and to her surprise, she was shocked that it wasn't a building with, as she described, with Eastern decorations, and it was just a normal house. And she knocks on the door, and. What we find is, is that the imam who's called Haji Mohammedoli, he's the one who opened up London's first mosque, he opens the door, wel welcomes her in, and they have a good old conversation about you know, the Muslim community in London, the students as well, um, what his plans are in Russell Square to establish a, um, a purpose-built mosque as well. And, um, you know, it's quite a fascinating insight or, him being interviewed by the American reporter who we don't know who her name what her name is sorry I think I think all that you've been saying it just shows how collaborative as well the community is just trying to uncover more about the history in the area so you were talking about earlier how you rely on archives yeah. to find more but it's very much well, I should actually point out as well uh, sorry just to interrupt yeah, uh, yeah. Um, was that with um, Haji Muhammad Doli, I am in contact with some of his descendants. Oh. So I, I have managed to get some bits and pieces from them. Um, and they do wish to come to um, England to have a, have a tour of his, um, you know, where he, where he was um, located, the sites, um, when he was buried, his last house, etc. Because I did manage to find his grave as well, um, which is in Wilston Green, New, uh, New Wilston Green Cemetery. And the, his grave was in, it was in a total mess it was. And um, I actually um, played a part in actually having his headstone, like a nice basic headstone, recognizing who he was and having it, uh, uh, you know, placed there to give him a more befitting uh, grave, you could say. So that's something else that happened as well. But his uh, descendants ha have never been there, not something they do wish to um, go to the graveyard. I mean, as time's gone on by, I did realize that from the previous um, piece of the. Um, of the grave, uh, um, it was there from the a company done by um, it's called Monday, but Monday Company was only established in the 1920s, 
and Haji Muhammad Doli died in 1906. So that means somebody did give him a uh, uh, um, pair up the dates. Obviously, the, that uh, um, headstone grave um, has actually been established in terms of the, uh, from a stonemason company after his death. So somebody has actually given him a, uh, it's probably got weathered and, you know, it's not been looked after. Um, so that's something that did take place in between as well. That's that's really nice. That's really nice to know as well. And it's so good of you to commemorate that, uh, to commemorate him and by giving him a headstone, um, because his efforts, it seems, you know, not because the house mosque was not known publicly and his gravestone. Mm. So just shedding a light on the history um, that exists and making sure the figures who have contributed so much to the history, the Muslim community in Bloomsbury are being recognized. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I was saying earlier, it's very collaborative. You have to talk to someone who knows someone or or who has done research themselves just because of the lack of, um, you know, up to date or um, consistent uh, records. Yeah. Um, so it's quite brilliant what you do. I'm sure I'm sure more people are going to take interest in this. Um, after visiting the tour so just a question uh, do you have a favorite stop on the tour or a favorite related fact um, towards the history I think it has to be, be the, the mosque one um, which is now the current site of the Welcome Institute that must be my favorite um, uh, location I think my second uh, favorite location would have to be the site of where um, uh, William Henry Quillam used to live uh, because there's no door there. The steps to the door do exist. <laughs> there is no uh, door. There's no door. It's just been windowed out. <laughs> so you can picture that. <laughs> Why did bizarre. that take place? It's completely, you know, and you 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 miss it completely. You just walk past it and you wouldn't know um, where door number eight was unless you counted from number five onwards. Uh, number eight, um, Tramington Street, uh, where it was. So that's, I think, you know, that's a mystery in itself. What happened to the front door? And yeah. um, so that's probably my second uh, uh, to last, well, second favourite uh, location. Um, but to be honest, I mean, it's, um, there are many um, different, because uh, even like the Bloomsbury history goes back to a time when we had um, a Moroccan ambassador come to um, England in the 1600s and he said that he was at in uh, in Russell Square he was actually practicing archery as well so that's more even a more older um, reference to the 1600s uh, but that's something else I would like to discover more about uh, but at the moment I've not managed to find much um, except his um, portrait is contained in Chiswick uh, House in West London and if you look at his portrait what's um, quite surprising here he's actually on a horse um, with his spear and um, under the, the horse is kind of like galloping upwards and underneath his um, legs I've managed to identify that there is a particular type of building that nobody's commentating I've looked at all the commentaries uh, um, with regards to this whole portrait and everyone seems to be missing out um, the building that can be seen underneath the horse's legs and that in itself looks like a mosque Wow, so, but then nobody's made an interpretation of it, you know, except <laughs> the portrait. So sometimes, sometimes what happens is that you need somebody, perhaps from that community, or who's not from as 
people like to call it not from a Western interpretation. Um, I don't really like to use that because, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Muslims and Islam have been intertwined with the West for many, many centuries. Um, you know, I'm a product of the West as well. Um, so I'm, I'm of Indian origin, yes, uh, but I have more connections to Britain. And that's what I say to people, fine, you might not kind of count it as a Western interpretation and maybe an Eastern interpretation for what I'm seeing, but that does sometimes happen when I look at portraits and I've managed to find some other, um, a different interpretation in terms of how a portrait can be viewed. And I've had people from different museums and galleries say to me that it's the first time they've actually heard this different interpretation. Yeah, I think your role in the, you know, in discovering this history as well just takes on so many different domains. So you have to look at art, you have to look at transcripts. Mm. There's not just one thing you can do. Uh, so thank you so much for that work. Um, obviously, give, uncovering so much about the history. Um, so do you have another fact that you enjoy? Not just to stop on the, <laughs> on the tour. What to do specifically in terms of Bloomsbury? Or... Well, anything. But if it's related to Bloomsbury, that's fine too. Um, what else could it be? I tell you something, yeah. This is something what people don't know. I mean, this is something uh, when I... Um, give my tours. I'm always wearing my Fez hat here. Oh, so, that, is, that is brilliant. We call it Tarbush. Tarbush, that's right. Arabic. Yes, and the, the reason why I wear it is uh, um, when I started the tours, I always wanted to wear some sort of like Muslim type of clothing or something to identify me as a, a, a distinctive tour guide. And what I could find was like... <laughs> originally like maybe like a Moorish type outfit like baggy um, trousers etc and I thought that in oh. London that central London might be a bit too um, flamboyant type you could say <laughs> and um, then I thought yeah let's wear the fez hat because this is what the Victorian male Muslims were wear wearing at the time they were here and <clears throat> it can also act as a marker as well so if I'm in a, in a crowd I mean, I do have a flag that has, uh, you know, the company name on it. But if I'm in a crowd, people have said this is more uh, recognisable in a crowd as opposed to a flag. And yeah. it acts as a marker. So, well, yeah, I'll see. Yeah. I, I haven't seen many people around <laughs> London wearing a, a fez, so I can see why it would work. But that is that is really good. Um, I, I don't have a fez, personally. Yeah. Um, but it is a symbol in my uh, culture back home. Yeah. In that I mean, this is something that you, you know, like um, uh, William Henry, uh, William War, as well as um, uh, Haji Muhammad Dolly would have worn as well. So there's a lot more than one uh, British-based Muslim uh, during the Victorian time would have actually worn as well. And that's great. It's great that you're doing that too. It just ties into the content of the tour. And serves a practical use um, absolutely yeah um it, this is a brilliant chat and um i'm so excited uh to be a part of the tour i might stop by and and actually join in because it's so interesting and i'm so intrigued by so many of the highlights you've listed um so just for listeners to know the guided tour is on october 17th uh from 11 a.m to 1 p.m um, it starts outside Holborn Underground Station, and it is free, but pre-booking is required. So to book, go to bloomsburyfestival.org.uk. And if you're interested in uncovering any, uh, any more about Muslim history in the UK, please visit Halal Tourism 
Britain website and check out their other tours because there's so many that we've talked about now, especially the things with the British Museum. Mm. Um, and I suggest listeners to go see that. That is brilliant stuff. Thank you so much for talking to me. Um, well, thanks for having me. No, it's been a pleasure. Um, so this was Hayal Amin for Bloomsbury Radio. And that's it from us.